It's time for She Knows Sports, the podcast, with your host, Tarika Foster Brasby. Hey, sports fans, welcome to episode three of She Knows Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Tarika Foster Brasby, and it's seriously my favorite time of the year. It's the NCAA tournament time, y'all. <laughs> okay, it is March madness for both men and women we cannot forget the ladies they have worked extremely hard all year long to get to this point so we are very excited that their tournament is going to begin friday um but the men's tournament actually started on thursday and what a start it was now it wasn't your typical first day of the tournament where about four or five teams have been upset Pretty much if you were a person who filled out your bracket to the chalk, if you were the person who picked majority of the higher seeds, then your bracket should pretty much still be okay. And if you are like myself, who maybe tried to pick a couple upsets, they were tight games. They were games that could have went either way. So there were definitely some memorable moments in day one of the NCAA tournament. We're definitely going to get into some of them, including Northwestern's historic win against Vanderbilt. We're actually going to be joined by sports journalist and Northwestern Wildcat Astasia Williams, who will actually be coming to us live from the tournament in Salt Lake City. So I know she's got some juice and some inside scoop about what's going on there. And we're also going to talk about some day two matchups, specifically the controversial ending in the Seton Hall, Arkansas contest. And in fact, for that conversation, we're going to be joined by Razorbacks assistant coach Scotty Thurman. Yes, Mr. Arkansas, the Rustin rifle himself. He knows what it takes to bring a championship to a team because he's the only team to do it. For Arkansas back in 1994 over Duke. So I am very excited to be talking to him. I'm excited to be talking some March Madness. This is literally my favorite time of the year. I think the only thing that comes close to March Madness to me is the Super Bowl. I love football, but I love some college basketball. So guys, let's get right into it. Day one of the tournament was actually pretty bland in terms of wins and losses. The higher seeded teams actually went 14 and two. So there weren't a ton of upsets as a lot of people would normally predict in the first weekend. However, the two teams that were quote unquote upsets, they didn't really feel like upsets. I mean, Middle Tennessee was one, which they were ranked number 12 coming into the tournament, or shall I say their seating was number 12 coming into this tournament. And then the other was Xavier, who was seated number 11. And again, it didn't really feel like these teams were upsets. It feels like these were two teams that were very capable of competing and winning, which they ultimately did. Now, Middle Tennessee last year was a 15 seed. And this is a team that I personally will never, ever, ever, ever Forget, because this is the 15 seed that knocked off my Spartans last year as a two seed, the year that we were projected to go all the way. Middle Tennessee ended that for us. To us, for us Spartan fans, Middle Tennessee is like a Mercer for Duke fans. Like what? You know what I mean? It's like what? Where happened? What is it like a Lehigh? Like what? 
who does this? You know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of how that was. It's like, what? Who are you guys? But they came out strong and they made some noise. Giddy Potts, Reggie Upshaw. I mean, these were guys who made names for themselves last year. And so really coming into this year's tournament, even coming in as a 12 seed, really didn't surprise me. But what it did was just further prove what I already felt was going to happen, which was that they were going to improve. After watching them in a tournament last year, I knew they were going to get better. And having them come in this year as a 12 seed just kind of proved that they did get better. And in all actuality, if you're a gambling person or you're a person who keeps up with the Vegas lines, Middle Tennessee was a one and a half point favorite over Minnesota, which was the five seed that they faced. So although this was an upset numerically, it really wasn't an upset if, you know, you bet on games or if you just pay attention. OK, there were certain things that happened in that game that pretty much gave them the edge. Like, number one, their coach, Kermit Davis, he switched up the defense on them. And I mean, he switched up the defense quite a bit during the entire game. If you watch the beginning of that game, Minnesota came out strong. They dropped like seven or eight points. And then Coach Davis called a timeout. After that timeout, you notice that they went from a man-to-man defense to a 1-3-1 zone defense. And if you kept watching longer in a half, they switched up from a 1-3-1 to a traditional 2-3. And then after halftime, they came back with a man-to-man again. I mean, it was so much going on. If I was confused watching it, that I'm assuming you had to be confused playing in it if you're Minnesota. They never were able to seem to get their groove back after Coach Davis continued to switch the defense up on them. I think that was really smart. Another thing is that Reggie Upshaw, he could not be stopped. Coach Davis gave him free range to shoot and to do him, and he did it. He dropped 19 points on 7 of 13 shooting from the floor. He was their leader on the court. And again, he was the leader on the court for them last year as a 15 seed. When Giddy Potts ended up getting in foul trouble, he was the guy who stepped up and dropped 21 points for the team. Same thing this year. When Minnesota started building and started getting themselves closer, this was the guy who made big shots when it was necessary to keep them out of it. They had no answer for him. So when you add that, along with the fact that they could not handle the defensive pressure, along with the fact that they could not stay out of foul trouble because Minnesota was already short in this rotation. Now, let's not forget, during the Big Ten tournament, they lost one of their best players, Akeem Springs, with an Achilles injury. So you're down men already. You can't handle the defensive pressure. You have no answer for Reggie Upshaw. It's no secret or a surprise that you got bounced out by Middle Tennessee. And that's why the Blue Raiders are going to be moving on to the round of 32. Now, Maryland being bounced out by Xavier, a little different. Now, granted, again, this was one of those matchups that could have gone either way. But coming into the tournaments, you already kind of felt that there were going to be a little bit of a struggle for for Maryland because Maryland was already struggling offensively. I mean, if you followed or kept up with ESPN or, you know, the Baltimore Sun, if you if you are simply a Maryland fan, if you're a Big Ten fan or if you're just keeping up with what's going on in college basketball, then I'm pretty sure you heard coming into the tournament that Mark Turgeon kept saying, The team needs to change the narrative. We need to gain our confidence back. We need to get back to being that team that started the season 20 and 2. But listen, even Melo Trimble knew, and Melo Trimble's their best player. And even he knows, look, 
we're having problems completing the game. In fact, he actually said post game that we haven't been able to put together a complete game all season. And that's what it was. Their confidence was gone. They weren't able to finish what they started. Their shooting was terrible. I mean, they had a moment where for almost five minutes, they did not score a basket. Xavier went on a 14 and 0 run in that time frame. What do you do when something like that happens? Now, let's not just kind of put this all on Maryland. You got to give Xavier their credit too. I mean, they played a tough zone defense. Their bench was reliable. Their bench was efficient. Uh, Trevor Blewett played well. He dropped 21 points. 18 of them came in the second half. I mean, they're just, they just had a rhythm that Maryland just did not seem to have. And when you think about the fact that this could possibly be Trimble's last season at Maryland because he's a junior, but he's played very well his three years there, it's very possible that he could be considering entering the draft. You really don't want to forego your, se- your senior year on a note like this. I don't know what the kid's going to do. Maybe he wants to stay. Maybe he wants to go. I don't know. It's really not for me to decide. We're going to see after the tournament when kids are starting to declare. But I would think if you want to leave a program that you've done so well in and that you've had a part in, in helping to continue what, you know, what it's been known for doing in the ACC now in the Big Ten, you don't want to go out 13 points, 5 for 15 shooting, one and nine from three. That's not the memory that I would want. But hey, it is what it is. And Xavier is going to be going on to play Florida State. Maryland's going to be going home. And uh, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles on day one of the tournament. There were some awesome games, some close games during day one. Um, There have been some great games during day two. Day two started on Friday morning. Um, Michigan playing Oklahoma State. Crazy. I mean, literally came down to the minute. So there's definitely been some great games, but there's one in particular that's standing out among the rest. I don't think anything will compare to ending a 78-year drought and not only winning, but winning in dramatic fashion. That has to be something that only a true Northwestern Wildcat fan could understand. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday between Northwestern and the Vanderbilt Commodores. And here to talk to us about that feeling, as well as about that game, I have sports writer and Northwestern Wildcat Astasia Williams on the show. What's going on, girl? How are you? Um, I'm kind of going through a thrill ride myself because um, I'm actually here in Salt Lake City, and this is my first NCAA basketball tournament. So I'm kind of learning everything as I go, and it's just like anything possible just being hit at me with like the win yesterday being our first tournament appearance so it's been great um and northwestern has pretty much covered the city um you just see purple everywhere downtown so it's been great energy out here well first let's back up and let's talk about the experience of being at an ncaa tournament tell us about salt lake city what is the what is it like even being there Okay, so I 
I want to blame this on my parents because, like, I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, from down south, and so this is pretty much my first time being out here, and as soon as we land, I was like, Dad, I'm seeing mountains. Like, <laughs> the, mountains <laughs> the mountains still have snow on it. Like, I've, I'm not a person, like, who loves the winter, and now I'm just like, okay, I don't understand. The sun is out. There's still snow on the mountains, so... It's been crazy. Um, I mean, I've only stayed in, like, the city area. So, I mean, it's kind of like a small town, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But it's really nice. The weather is great. The humidity has been on, like, low, which is great for women with natural hair. So I'm just thriving in it right now. (laughs) I can imagine. So, Northwestern, 78 years, no NCAA tournament appearance. All of a sudden, you guys are have always been close, or at least over the last few years, you guys have always been almost mm-hmm. quite there, but just not able to get yeah. over the hump. And so this year, you finally get over the hump. What was the buzz like, even around the camp, just knowing that you guys were in the tournament? Not even getting to the actual game on day one, but just the fact that you got the bid. What was that like? I think, like, Evanston, which is usually, like, a quiet town, kind of reminded me like of a LSU football game on a Saturday night. Wow. Like, people were just going crazy and like just really enjoying themselves because uh, it's a real small community and Northwestern is their school. I mean, Northwestern is Chicago's Big Ten team. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, it's like the city just turned purple for that whole period of time and it's still purple today. So, uh, it might be purple for like the rest of for another 70 years actually so um i mean it's been great just to see um just the team being supported that to that extent now chris collins has only been coaching the team for about the last four years and this team has gone through some different changes but i'd like to think (laughs) that he's done a good job of changing the culture of northwestern basketball can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen um as a sports writer and as a fan about the program under his leadership so i i'm actually in the Liddell school of journalism program for my master's so i'm only here for a year and I feel like I've been, you know, going here for the last four years. Mm -hmm. Northwestern will do that to you. Like, it will suck you in so quick. It will. You just get attached. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't even realize, like, how attached you are. To be honest, it started with the football team. Like, Mm -hmm. going to the um, the pinstripe ball and Vegan and their ball game. And, like, the, the sports teams, they're really close. So, like, to me, I just feel like that energy for the football team just kind of, like, transfer to the basketball team and like once everybody's winning the culture of the university changes like northwestern is not just nerd western anymore which people actually call it nerd western by the way that is crazy (laughs) right so it's like it it's crazy to see that a school that's so strong on academics turn into an actual like athletic school mm-hmm. so i mean it's been great and so um and like this year i believe for the last three home games you were not getting in if you didn't buy the ticket i believe like late january early february like those games were sold out for like months in events and i don't think that's happened for a little minute 
Absolutely. And I think another thing that makes it so extremely cool about mm-hmm. what's going on with Northwestern right now is the alumni presence. I work at ESPN. Oh, yeah. I am surrounded <laughs> oh. by all of these freaking Northwestern people um, everywhere. There's Northwestern people. And I think the cool thing about seeing the game was seeing so many personalities and communications and, and TV and sports journalists who were very yeah. proud, you know, to represent. Not to say that they weren't proud before, but they were extremely proud yesterday. So having yeah. attended the game, what was it like for you to see all of the alumni in the crowd? Man, not even just the alumni. It's like I'm sitting in like the media city <laughs> and like you look in one section of the arena and it looks like they literally packed up West Ryan Arena. <laughs> he brought it to Salt Lake City. Like it's that it's literally that many people from Northwestern community just in the arena. But I mean, you have Jay Adande, uh, Rachel Nichols, um, and like uh, Greeny, mm-hmm. and just pretty much everybody just <laughs> out there. And I'm, and I'm looking. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, you can't really grasp like who all are Northwestern alumni and it's just like okay so I need to google one day who is a Northwestern alumni okay I just need to know that that page is going to be extremely long let me tell you (laughs) so like after we won the game yesterday you kind of just go on Twitter and it was actually this really funny tweet where it's like um, well someone like put in a search box as a Medill alumni on Twitter and it's like this little video that shows all the tweets that have been said like as a Medill alum so like for me like being that I go to Medill right now felt really good and then just like seeing like all the Medill alums there at the game was was pretty exciting so I had to go take a few hands <laughs> I don't blame you that's such an exciting time right now I you know I'm a Spartan fan so a part of me is kind of uh, like uh you know it's Northwestern and whatever let them have their moment <laughs> and then the other part of me is like this is I don't think that this is a year that has a lot of Cinderella's. And normally when you think of a Cinderella, you think of a 12 seed or 13 seed or something. But I think this year's Cinderella story has to be Northwestern and what they're able to accomplish. Everybody's calling Northwestern like a Cinderella story. But it's crazy because, like, the guys, they seem so calm, like, mm-hmm. in the locker room and, like, from the public practice. Like, they seem so calm like they've been here before and, like, they're confident in themselves. So everyone views them as a Cinderella, but, I mean, they've had this feeling that they've been good all season long. So it'll be interesting to see what they do tomorrow. That's literally the attitude that you have to have in this tournament because yeah. confidence is everything. It really builds your character and it builds how you play especially against a Gonzaga team who has been has literally been here before many times and they know right. what it's going to take to move forward um you're my inside scoop girl now um <laughs> <laughs> you were able to attend the press conference so give us a little yeah. bit of insight of what it was that Chris Collins you know the message that he wants to deliver to the team and where, what he sees you know for the matchup for the round of 32 he was saying more so a lot of just like he knows that um he knows the outside noise he knows the team that at um Gonzaga is and they're going to be a pretty tough matchup for Northwestern but he also wants his guys to know that hey they're a top team in the nation but like coach Fitz said yesterday in this little video that the team tweeted so are 
you know, so are they. I was about to say, so are we. <laughs> but, um, but like they said, they said, you know, so are we, meaning that we're a top team in the nation as well. So it's just um, basically knowing that they can keep up with them will be a way for them to stay in the game and possibly get a win. Well, I definitely appreciate the insight. I'm so happy you were able to join the podcast. And good luck to the Northwestern Wildcats moving forward. I mean, I honestly think that you guys are the Cinderella story this year. And I I can't wait to see how the story finishes. So let everybody know where they can follow you and find you on social media. Um, Well, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at AstasiaWillTV. Um. You pretty much follow me there on Twitter. Uh, Instagram is just Astasia Will. So there you go. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with everything. Have fun in Salt Lake City and really live it up and enjoy the moment. (laughs) No problem. Coming up, we are going to be joined by Razorback assistant basketball coach Scotty Thurman. Don't go anywhere, guys. We'll be right back with more She Knows Sports, the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Serendipity. My book, Ember's Flame, hit number one on the Amazon African American Erotica chart. Get your copy today to find out what fans Ember's Flame, and you might find yourself in need of some cooling off. Available on Amazon and at www.authorserendipity.com. Welcome back to the She Knows Sports Podcast. I am truly excited about our next guest, Arkansas legend to many, um, what they call the shot heard around Arkansas from the 1994 National Championship team, Mr. Scotty Thurman on the line. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. I know today has been a long and crazy day. Currently, you're in your role as the assistant coach for the Razorbacks right now. Tell us a little bit about how that experience has been for you, as opposed to what it was like being a player. Um, it's definitely been different. It's been been quite a learning experience for me. Uh, fortunately for me, I've got uh, the head coach and Mike Anderson, who's someone I'm very, very familiar with. Having I've been recruited by him out of high school, uh, so I'm very familiar with him and having a chance to work with. Uh, Coach Melvin Walker and TJ Cleveland, who I'm very familiar with as well, has been a learning experience, but it's been very, very good for me. And obviously, uh, we're having a ton of success this year on the floor, so that makes it even sweeter. Absolutely. Now, this team coming into the tournament, eight seed, what was the message that you guys sent to the team entering into the tournament? It, you guys hadn't been there since 2015, lost in a round of 32 to UNC. Tell us a little bit about what you tell the guys coming into the tournament. Oh, I think just that, that you know, surviving the advanced mindset and understanding that, you know, there are no second chances. You don't get any do-overs. You've got to come out and play your best and your hardest, you know, first and foremost in, in that particular game. And I think our guys have really embraced the fact that, you know, we're kind of an underdog. Even though we're an eight seed, we really feel like we're better than that. Uh, but obviously, you got to go out and prove it on the floor. And we just try to encourage our guys to play with that chip on their shoulder and play like they've got something to prove. Now, you guys did play in the tournament, taking on Seton Hall. 
Everybody has been talking about this game, especially the ending. Some have called it controversial with the flagrant foul call on Desi Rodriguez. From your perspective on the side, take us through that play in that moment and tell us a little bit about what you observed and how it came across to you. Well, I think it was an obvious foul. Um, you know, whether it's flagrant or not, obviously it was up to the referees. I'm not so sure that uh, Rodriguez meant to hurt um, Jalen Ball for this. He was attacking the basket, but he did uh, not make a play on the basketball, and he pushed it, uh, which, you know, forced it for us. Played in our favor. The referee saw it as a flagrant foul. It was definitely either flagrant or intentional. Um, so, you know, I think it was going to be pretty much the same result, us shooting free throws and getting the ball back. So, I don't really think that play in particular was as controversial as people are making out to be because it was pretty obvious that Rodriguez did not make a play on the basketball, so the referee did a good job in making making the correct call. Now, Jalen Bradford, been huge for you guys all season, 20 points today. Tell us a little bit about this kid as far as how he's developed over the course of the year, and tell us a little bit about what it's like coaching this kid. Well, I mean, I think Jalen's been, been a joy for you know myself as well as my staff to have an opportunity to work with this young man. I mean, he came out of junior college, very, very helpful, had a lot of schools that were uh, vying for his services. I uh, was a leading scorer in the country coming out of junior college, and I think it was a huge adjustment for him, you know, coming to uh, this fastest 40-minute style of play because, you know, Coach Anderson encourages ball movement and being unselfish, and he's always had teams that have been, uh, you know, the, one of the leading teams in the country in assists. So for Jalen, I think he took him a little while to learn how to play with the ball and without it some um, in his style of play. And I think he's done a marvelous job at, at adjusting, uh, being the fact that he was the guy in junior college who had the ball in his hands the majority of the time. I think he's done a good job of picking his spots and figuring out when he needs to score. Also, he's a, he's a pretty good defender. He doesn't get a lot of credit for defending, but I think he had four steals a day and he did a good job defending. I would completely agree. Another thing that I think is very interesting and was very helpful for you guys down the stretch today was free throw shooting. Is that something that you guys try to implement a lot in practice as far as making your shots, working on them, being efficient at them? I mean, because you guys were 18 of 23 down the stretch. Is that something that you and Coach Anderson tr- try to, to really push the guys to be strong at? Well, Coach has emphasized you know, free throw shooting all year to our guys. From the time we started, and for a lot of people that don't know, we started our season a little bit earlier than most because we were able to go uh, and play in a tournament in Spain. You know, so we got an international trip, and these guys had an opportunity to play together. But our coaches focused and had these guys focus on shooting free throws from day one, knowing that at the end of close ball game, you got to be able to step up to the line and, and, and make them. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, we were 18 for 23 today, but one of our best free throw shooters actually missed three free throws. So we probably should have been 21 for <laughs> which would have even been an even better clip. I agreed, agreed. Now, again, you know better than most what it's like to play on a championship stage. Um, having brought the only title to Arkansas, do you feel kind of like, you know what, these guys can be the guys to, to bring us championship number two? What's your vibe? You know, how do they look to you as to say, you know, we know that you've done this before and you've been here before. What do you think it is that you bring or instill to these guys as far as inspirational wise, um, knowing that, you know, you are one of the marquee players for Arkansas? Um, I think the main thing is just having that, playing with that sense of urgency, you know, playing with that chip on your shoulder and playing with the fact that, you know, even though Arkansas is a story program in my eyes, but, you know, on the national landscape, a lot of people don't see it that way you know, due to the fact that 
you know, until Coach Anderson came back, there wasn't a lot of pride in the, in the program in, in certain instances. So I think these guys are doing a good job of taking on that pressure and, and wanting to go out and not only carry, carry that Razorback pride throughout, you know, the ball game, but hopefully to be able to have that resonate throughout the country so that these guys can get their just due. I mean, obviously, we still got some work to do, um, but we still got games to play, and I think these guys are chomping at the bits to have a shot at North Carolina. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day today to come and talk to us here on the podcast. We will definitely be looking forward to your matchup uh, in the second round, and good luck to you, Coach. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks for your support. Well, fans, that's all we have in today's episode. But I want to once again thank Astasia Williams and Coach Scotty Thurman for joining us. There are tons of games left in this NCAA tournament, both men's and women's. So make sure you are checking them out. ESPN2 for the women's tournament. CBS, TNT, TBS, and True TV for the men's tournament. Good luck if your team is still in it. Good luck if your bracket is still intact. Make sure you are following me on Twitter at SheKnowsSports underscore, and you better subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, guys. Thank you for listening to She Knows Sports, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and blogtalkradio.com and follow on Twitter at SheKnowsSports underscore.